0: Gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, beginning in the 14th chapter at the 14th verse. And once I got into this, I realized that the lectionary split this story up over two Sundays. And you're not gonna hear me next week because it's our children's worship, and I'm excited about that. So I've extended the reading a little bit today, and I'm gonna try and wrap up a little bit of what I probably would have said next Sunday into today, so bear with me. I'm just going to go to verse 30 instead of 21. But Luke wrote this, and it goes like this. Jesus returned to Galilee, powerful in the spirit, and news that he was back spread through the countryside. He taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been reared. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place, and when he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, send me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free to announce that this is God's year to act. And he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, and sat down. And every eye in the place was on him, intent. And then he started in. You've just heard Scripture make history. It came true just now, in this place. All who were there, watching and listening, were surprised at how well he spoke. But they also said, hey, isn't this Joseph's son? The one we've known since he was a youngster? And he answered, I suppose you're going to quote the proverb, Doctor, go heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. Well, let me tell you something, no prophet is ever welcomed in his hometown. Isn't it a fact that there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah during that three and a half years of drought? when famine devastated the land. But the only widow to whom Elijah was sent was in Sarepta in Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one cleansed was Naaman the Syrian. And that set everyone in the meeting place seething with anger. They threw him out, banishing him from the village, then took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. But he gave them the slip and was on his way. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? God, for peace that surpasses human knowledge and understanding, we come to you. May the spirit of peace that flows from the life and teachings of Jesus come upon us as a congregation, individually and collectively in this time apart. May we experience that peace. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds to your word for us this day. There's a wonderful story that is told from the life of Beethoven. Once he made a long trip to a distant cathedral, in which was said to be the greatest pipe organ in the entire world. And weary from his trip, he went to the side door of the cathedral where he was greeted by a monk in a red robe who asked what he wanted. Well, I understand that you have here the most wonderful organ in the world, I have come many miles to see it. And the monk looked at the seedy little man and reluctantly led him through the corridors to where he could get a good view of a great organ. And Beethoven stood at the council looking hungrily at the keys. Oh, sir, he said, would you permit me to play it? Oh, not so, replied the monk, and please don't ask for only the head organist of the cathedral plays this instrument. Then if I might but touch the keys, Beethoven pleaded, and the monk looked around to be certain that that he wasn't seen, and reluctantly consented, and the seedy stranger sat down, and with his great genius swept the keyboard, and the music echoed throughout the cathedral, The organ had never sounded like that before. Who are you? asked the monk. I am Beethoven. The monk uncovered his head and crossed himself. My God, to think that I almost missed letting you, the master, use this humble instrument. You know, folks, the tragedy at Nazareth that day is that something wonderful could have happened, but didn't. As Luke's Gospel tells it, word about Jesus has reached the home folks. The reports about him say that he's been teaching in nearby towns to rave reviews. We can be virtually certain that attendance is up at the synagogue on the sabbath day when he comes home for a visit. And the people of Nazareth, they just remember him as the carpenter's son, not as a teacher and a healer. Maybe now they will find out what all the fuss is about. Maybe he will give them a sample of this wonderful teaching that has everyone singing his praises. So he enters the synagogue and stands up to read from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now they know these words, these Nazareth people. They've heard them for as long as they can remember. It's a promise from God that one day the oppression of the foreign invader will be lifted. It's a promise of freedom and hope and justice, and no doubt Jesus will tell them, as so many other rabbis have told them, to wait. Just be patient. Someday, in God's good time, he will say, these promises they will be And yet, as they watch him roll up the scroll, they sense that something is different. Something new is about to happen. They can almost feel it in the air. And Luke tells us that the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. It's almost as if the whole world is leaning in toward him in anticipation. And he says to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfilled? Today? Is that what we heard him say? The whole synagogue buzzes with whispers and murmurs or nods and smiles. He speaks some more and his listeners are amazed at what he says. They can hardly believe that this is the little boy who used to play in the carpenter shop. Can you imagine? This is Joseph's son, they say to one another. So far, so good. If Jesus stops here, if he wraps up his sermon with a good story. The headline in tomorrow's paper will read: "Local Boy Returns in Trial." Why didn't he stop there? Why did he have to spoil it all by reminding them that hometown folks—they never accept one of their own as a prophet? Why did he have to tell that story from scripture about the prophet Elijah getting help from a foreign woman and that other story about Naaman, also a foreigner, being healed of leprosy? It's almost as if he went out of his way to insult them, to tell them that God has more regard for a bunch of refugees than for them. What a slap in the face. What unmitigated gall. Who does this young whippersnapper think he is anyway? And the Gospel says that they were so enraged that they drove him out of town and tried to push him off a cliff. The Gospel doesn't say, but we can imagine a spokesperson from the Chamber of Commerce announcing that the Welcome Home Jesus parade scheduled for later in the afternoon has now been canceled. The truth is, an epiphany, a wondrous revealing, really, is really only as good as our ability to receive it. A sad soul can look out on a morning of inexpressible beauty and say, bah, humbug. And an indifferent person could sit through a superb rendition of Beethoven and be bored the people of Nazareth found it necessary to discredit Jesus and then in bitterness seek to destroy him. And I think the Nazareth tragedy is compounded by the fact that the people were first inclined to hear Jesus appreciatively, but then something in them made them want to cut him down to size. Specifically, their size. They wanted to be able to manage him by remembering that he was the boy that they had seen through the years in the carpenter shop. And in all honesty, folks, I'm not sure how ready we are for such a revelation because often a revelation begins with new insight into ourselves. And that revealing is often a very painful process. And the people of Nazareth, they managed pretty well with Jesus revealing of Himself. They found His words gracious. It was when He began to reveal their own persons to them, that they became upset. His suggestion that they were like their ancestors in Elijah and Elisha's day, who were bypassed for blessing while outsiders were favored, that was utterly unacceptable. You know, no significant glory is going to burst into our own lives, however, unless we first deal honestly with ourselves. WE CANNOT BE HEALED UNTIL WE ACKNOWLEDGE THAT WE ARE ILL. WE CANNOT LEARN UNTIL WE ACKNOWLEDGE OUR IGNORANCE. AND WE CANNOT FIND FULLNESS OF LIFE UNTIL WE ACKNOWLEDGE THAT WE ARE NOT PRESENTLY COMPLETE. BUT IF WE ACCEPT THAT CHALLENGE, THE POTENTIAL IS ALMOST UNLIMITED. THE PEOPLE OF NAZARETH, unfortunately rejected it. When the gracious revealing of Jesus became a painful revealing of themselves, they wanted to be done with this young, upstart carpenter. We are always in danger of following their example. But, the past 20-some centuries have been highlighted by those some well-known, but most of them virtually unknown, who have seen the revealing of Jesus and of themselves and have accepted the challenge. And for them, it has been a path from faith to faith and from glory to glory. We always have the same opportunity ever before us, and perhaps today we we can admit that it's time. Amen.